the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Cheryl Mays today. And the mission of Talk Law Radio is to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Apple Podcasts, TalkLawRadio.com, YouTube, Facebook Live, and anywhere you can find a podcast. So today we're going to be talking about how difficult guardianships are in Texas. And uh, before we get started, I want to begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to follow your will. Please help Cheryl and me give good information to the listeners about Texas guardianship law. Help us to do everything we do for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Again, we're talking about Texas guardianship today, and Cheryl has a lot of experience with guardianship. Tell us how you got your education and experience in this area. Um, so Fortunately for me, I kind of fell into a position of being a legal assistant for an attorney, and he focused in probate and guardianship. Um, He was the go-to attorney for the Jewish Family Services back in the day, so we worked on a lot of guardianships where we were going into the homes and um, advocating for the person that was trying to be put under a guardianship. So I have about uh, a little over 20 years now, and probate and guardianship law experience. So you say you fell into that. I haven't heard this story. Um, So a little background on me. When I was younger, my mom worked for a company where the uh, owner was a half lawyer, half business owner, and he was co-oping with another attorney. And being a single mom, she had to take her kids into work with her half the time. And so he just kind of was a big brother type, helped send us to church camps and everything. And then when I turned 18, he said, come work for me. And oh wow! ever since then. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to get started. What, what parts of this law or this area of law are you passionate about? Um, I, I love probate law as a whole. I think um, there's no politics in probate. It's all about the best interest of the individual and the community in Bear County that practices probate law um, is a very emotionally involved community. And we're all looking out for the better, uh, the bettering of the community and the mental health for the individuals. Yeah, I think it's more collaborative than maybe other areas that are focused more on litigation, like uh, injury or uh, criminal defense or family law? It, it definitely is. We're, um, we're out for the best scenario for everybody involved. We're not the money-hungry lawyers mm-hmm. that everybody likes to think we are. Right. So you started work right after uh, graduating high school, but you got your degree along the way. I did. I went and got my degree from UTSA in communications with a concentration in risk management. And then I went on um, to get my master's in management and leadership and um, 
you know, had got married and had two kids along the way and <laughs> all that goes with that. Yeah. And you have one that's interested in horses and one that's interested in do-it-yourself projects. Yes, we do. <laughs> she um, is always looking at DIY makeup, and then the other one is telling me what horse or pony she wants for her birthday oh, every wow. week. Yeah. Okay. That's an expensive hobby. Yeah, they both are. Okay, so we're going to focus on Texas guardianship law today and why is it so difficult and... I want to talk about the primary reason behind the reason that it's so difficult is because of our love for freedom and liberty and our civil rights, our autonomy, and and self-determination. You've probably seen lots of stories, lots of uh, proposed wards who just wanted to fight to do what they wanted to do uh, even if it was maybe a bad decision. Absolutely, yeah. Well, in the code, it says uh, in order to get guardianship over somebody, there has to be reoccurring acts, uh, bad things that happen that would be against somebody's best interest and not just isolated acts of negligence or bad decisions. I like to tell some of our prospects that as long as you have capacity, you have the right to make bad decisions if you want to. Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) Can you think of uh, any of those uh, past cases where uh, there was a fine line between a bad decision and incapacity? So we're seeing it a lot more with the um, baby boomer generation that's coming up. A lot of those that have gone undiagnosed with, like, bipolar disorder, um, where they've had a lifetime of making good and bad decisions for themselves, but now they're starting to also show some signs of dementia. Mm -hmm. So there's that fine line of, is it a mental health disorder, or is it a mental um, illness illness that's causing them to make these bad decisions now? And I guess that, that can be more pronounced later in life. Absolutely. I uh, have had a couple of experiences where the the bad things that were happening were related to gambling. Yes, gambling and now um, like the internet scams and stuff that are coming oh, up. Oh, right. Yeah, that, that does continue to happen. Uh, I tell some people that the best way they can protect their parents' assets is by discontinuing connecting the phone yeah (laughs) don't answer the scam likely calls right and if they're check if they have email you know that's another thing if if you just shut down the email then they're not going to click on something and uh, give up their passwords or their social security number or things like that Mm -hmm. well if you're listening to this and you're wondering about guardianship give us a call at 210-308- 8867-210-308-8867. Talk Law Radio, where I'm helping you to discover your legal issue blind spots and capacity, incapacity, incompetency, all of those things are blind spots because it's not like a light switch, right? Sometimes it could be. It's more like a dimmer switch. Right, the thing that you turn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, some people uh, present incapacity in in a very subtle way, and if you're very close to them, you might not see it. I remember my mom's mom, um, she always told us she was going to get Alzheimer's, and I don't know if that was a self-fulfilling prophecy or whether she just knew it was coming, uh, but when she forgot my name, it really hit me. Yeah. My my great-grandmother had early onset Alzheimer's, so my grandmother was always concerned that she was going to get it too. Mm-hmm. And I saw her on a daily basis, and um, it was in the being so close to her and working in this field, it was definitely hard for me to realize her decline mm-hmm. um, with her vascular dementia. So it is hard for the, those that are taking care of them to have a reality of what's really going right. on sometimes. It- if you're far away, if you're just visiting after a, a large period of time, then you have something to compare it to. 
Yeah, if for people that just drop in, you know, two or three times a year and see a dramatic issue when they arrive, mm-hmm. it's much easier to say something's going on. Yeah. Well, we have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the specific difficulties that need to be addressed and overcome in order for you to be appointed guardian over your loved one. So stay tuned. Business owners and entrepreneurs, join attorney Todd Marquardt for an eye-opening and informational seminar that could change the way you protect your business and assets. Discover what risks we often unknowingly face. Thursday, September 21st, 8 a.m. at the Dominion Country Club. RSVP at 210-530-4278 to secure your spot. Learn how to protect your business and assets from unforeseen challenges. RSVP now, 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Cheryl Mays, a paralegal extraordinaire. Uh, she has over 20 years of experience in probate and guardianship law. And today we're talking about Texas guardianships and why they're so difficult. Uh, the primary reason being that the law does not want to take away somebody's rights. And guardianship does that by allowing somebody else to make decisions for you. Uh, But first, I want to mention Joseph Warren with Financial Planning HQ. He and I are are going to be having a lunch seminar uh, later on in July at Alamo Cafe on 281. And so if you want to learn more about that seminar, I'm going to be talking about uh, learning how to leave a legendary legacy and Joseph Warren will be talking about the same, only from a financial services uh, perspective. And uh, you can email me if you're interested at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. And I'll give you some more information about when and where and what. So now, Cheryl, tell us from your perspective, what are some important things that people need to do or think about uh, before they even call the lawyer to get representation uh, to file an application for guardianship? What should they be thinking about or doing to prepare for that? So to prepare for that, it would be good to ask the questions to the person that they're thinking about getting guardianship over, see where they think, um, what what their wishes are. If they wanted somebody to take care of them, who is it going to be? Where do they want to go? Do they want to live in a nursing home or a memory care? Mm -hmm. I know sometimes that that's um, the best scenario for the person, despite what their wishes may be. Um, Then you need to look at how they're spending their money. How can you help them reduce um, their debt-to-income ratio so that they can have a better living situation Mm -hmm. for themselves? Um, If it's in a hoarding situation, you know, what can you do to make it better for them? If there's an emergency, who do you contact? Um, But before you can apply to the court for guardianship, you have to be able to prove that you've tried to get this individual help through all these other different service agencies. The court court does not want to step in and have power over somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. They want you to use the different avenues like power of attorneys um, to have that authority to help the individual. So that's a good point to to first find out if they have capacity to understand what a power of attorney is and how it works and 
do they trust anybody to make those decisions? Absolutely. Uh, make make an appointment with the person's primary care physician um, and see if they believe they have capacity to um, sign a power of attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, if they agree that they do have that capacity, then contact an attorney about getting their estate plan drawn up as soon as possible. Yeah, and you can do this for yourself now while you're still healthy and alive, and then nobody will have to worry about whether you have the capacity to sign a power of attorney. But that that's a great point. That's a good first step. Um, but everything you just said sounds somewhat confrontational. It, if it my can kids be confrontational. Came to me and said, "Dad, uh, are you making bad decisions?" <laughs> we we had a, I mean, um, an older gentleman. The hardest thing for them to give up is their keys to their mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. We had a gentleman come in this week that you know he was signing over his power of attorneys and everything, yeah. and that was what he stated to me. It was like. I, I I couldn't just give up my keys. I had to sell the cars to get rid of them because yeah. he knew something was going on to where he couldn't do that for himself anymore. Yeah, I met another guy earlier in the week, or maybe it was last week, and he was not ready to do that. And I I tried to convince him that because of his old age, he had earned the right to have a chauffeur. Absolutely. But he that's that's giving up some of what he enjoys doing uh, and mobility, being able to control where you go and when you leave and where to go. I think that that's big uh, for their self-determination. Yeah. And when you see um, the older individual having a few more dents in their vehicle, a few more accidents Mm -hmm. being reported, um, DPS is not going to come in and take their driver's license away from them. They have to have at least three red flags against them for the DPS to call them in to take another test. Oh, okay. And uh, if they are a hit-and-run type older person, then they might not yeah. <laughs> be getting the red flags. Um, so that's a good point. You have to keep uh, an eye out for that. And it could be very dangerous or even life-threatening for them and other people on the road. Absolutely. And then with like this Texas heat that's going on right now, if they're not properly hydrating, if they're... I know my grandfather loves to keep his apartment at 85 degrees right now, and you go in there and it's sweaty, sweltering hot. Right. So, you know, if they're if it's visible that they're not taking care of themselves in a normal environment, um, that's a big indicator that something's going on that they may need help with. Yeah, or they're just stubborn and cheap. <laughs> or that. My, my dad's dad did the same thing. He'd rather take his shirt off than turn the air conditioner on. And that's, you know, that's the older mindset, and that's mm-hmm. wh- where it gets hard to um, tell them there's a better way now and we can help. Yeah. Or else you might have a guardian appointed. Absolutely. (laughs) So some of the constitutional reasons for making guardianship difficult are as follows. Uh, In the United States, the government's forbidden from depriving a person from life, liberty, or property without due process. So the guardianship proceeding is the due process. That's why it's difficult. So let's uh, imagine a situation where the the applicant, the person who wants to be guardian, has uh, convinced their lawyers and their legal team that uh, they need to file for guardianship. What are some things that they're going to be facing uh, besides just the legal pleadings, the lawsuit that has to be filed? So with that pleading, we have to um, put some kind of medical record in there um, showing that there is some incapacity. So if you come to us and say, excuse me, that we're not not quite sure if they're incapacitated or not, the first thing we're going to do is give you um, a document called a certificate of medical exam and tell you to go see that primary care physician because we're not even going to apply on your behalf until we see that. Um, That's something that... The statute requires having that by a physician that's an MD or a DO, not an NP or 
a physician's assistant has to be an MD. So actually the law on that just changed. We I actually learned this in a oh, okay. CLE yesterday. Oh, so great. now a um, nurse practitioner can sign it on behalf of an oh, MD, okay. but not a physician's assistant. Okay. So there's a little more room to be able to get that done now. So that was a, that was a great challenge for us to get approved. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing that we are going to be looking at is um, in that application, we are telling the court that this person should not have the right to vote anymore, that they do not have the right to have firearms anymore or to enter into any kind of contract, so including marriage. And so we have to look at that person's own personal um, belief system. Have they always gone and voted religiously? Mm-hmm. Is that something necessarily that we want to take away from them? Um, obviously, if they're having signs of dementia or other int- mental illness, the firearms is going to be an automatic oh, removal. Right. But, you know, we have to look at their marriage situation, too. Um, sometimes we have to do a post-determination divorce. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for the family? So there's it, it's a big impact on the family as a whole and not just the ward themselves. Right. That's a good point. Uh, Another part of the Constitution, uh, the 14th Amendment, uh, which was ratified in 1868, uh, uses the the same words of the the Fifth Amendment called the Due Process Clause. It says, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So like, just like you said, Cheryl, we don't want to take away a person's right to vote or a person's right to get married or drive unless it would be dangerous right. or unless they have no idea what they're doing. Right. If you feel that there's, um, it's an emergency situation, you can always go down and apply um, for an involuntary commitment. But there's very strict guidelines on that as well. They have to be in immediate danger to themselves or others before um, they'll be able to do anything for the next 72 hours. Yeah. Okay. Another statute, Texas statute in the Human Resources Code says... Uh, This chapter does not authorize or require any medical treatment of a person who objects uh, based on uh, religious grounds. So that's one of the rights that we have is to say that we don't want certain medical treatment. Um, But if you neglect yourself and you don't have capacity to decide that, that's when a guardian could be appointed and say, well, this medical care is in your best interest. You can only deny medical care if you have the capacity to do so. Absolutely. Um, and that is that is probably one of the hardest challenges for individuals that are named as guardians for wards. You are protecting their interest and what they would have wanted in life. Um I was the guardian of a woman that had a different religious belief than I did, and I had to make that hard decision for her um, at the end of her life. Uh, was Did she need to have surgery at a very advanced um, Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. or did we keep her comfortable and let her pass peacefully? Yeah. And it's hard because I was a third-party guardian, the family wasn't involved. Mm-hmm. Um, she had some close friends from her church that were involved that pushed for one side and um, had known this woman for a long time prior to her diagnosis. I knew what her wishes were and had to act on her behalf and not what was my religious belief. Wow. It was, that does it was sound hard. Difficult. It's hard. Okay. I want to mention that age alone does not determine whether you have capacity or not. So there's a statute in Texas Estates Code 1101.105. There's a prohibition against consideration of age as sole factor in the appointment of a guardian for an adult. 
if you're under the age of 18, well, that could be the sole factor because mm-hmm. uh, you don't, by definition, you don't have the capacity to sign a contract. But if you're an adult, there has to be other things going on. I mentioned reoccurring acts or occurrences of uh, bad things happening, not just isolated instances of negligence or bad judgment. So we've been talking about guardianship, why it's so difficult, and we're going to take a break, and we'll continue talking about that some more, talk about some of the specific hurdles that an applicant for guardianship has to jump through in order for the court to determine that they're the right person to be the guardian. So far, we've been talking about capacity a lot. After the break, we'll be talking about who is the right person, so stay tuned. Attention, business owners and entrepreneurs. Join attorney Todd Marquardt for an eye-opening and informational seminar that could change the way you protect your business and assets. Discover what risks we often unknowingly face. Thursday, September 21st, 8 a.m. at the Dominion Country Club. RSVP at 210-530-4278 to secure your spot. Learn how to protect your business and assets from unforeseen challenges. RSVP now, 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Podcasts everywhere, talklawradio.com, Facebook Live, and YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the little bell image so that you can be notified when we're downloading content or uploading content onto the YouTube page. Today we're talking about why Texas guardianship law is so complicated. With me is Cheryl Mays. She's a paralegal with Marquardt Law Firm. I like to say she's paralegal extraordinaire. She has over 20 years experience working in probate and guardianship. We've been talking a lot about why Texas guardianship is so complicated and difficult, and a lot of the reason is because uh, a judge saying that you're um, incapacitated does take away your rights to do certain things and gives those rights to somebody else to make decisions for you to do or not do certain things. And I want to mention our sponsor, Joseph Warren, with Financial Planning HQ. If you have uh, any needs for planning out your financial future, contact Joseph Warren with Financial Planning HQ. So, Cheryl, let's get back into guardianship. Tell us what are some of the hoops that applicants have to jump through uh, before a judge will award them the right to make decisions for somebody else. So the first thing we're going to do when we're working with our applicants is ask them a couple of difficult questions about themselves. We need to know if they've ever been convicted of a felony. You know, that's not something that somebody openly shares. Right. And so when you are an applicant for a guardianship, you have to go through a training system um, through the Texas um, um, guardianship program and get training. Mm -hmm. You have to be fingerprinted. Um, When you are a guardian of the estate, you have to be bonded to protect the assets of the ward. So we have to do a bond application to see if you even qualify for a bond. If you've ever filed bankruptcy or have had a bankruptcy in the last seven years, that can impact your ability to serve as a guardian. Um, And then also just uh, what kind of person are you generally? If you are an addict yourself or have been known to fly off the handle and have an anger issue or have had a bad relationship with this individual before, um, the the court will take that into account. If another family member comes forward and contests your application, the court's going to ask why. Right. 
So you mentioned the the fingerprinting and background check. Um, That's more robust now, right? It is. Um, So it's a centralized program. We provide you with the links and instructions on how to go through it. And then now um, if you are just guardian of the person to take care of somebody's medical issues, you can do your fingerprinting through the system. But if you're the guardian of the estate now, you have to get special codes from the court, and it goes through the FBI fingerprint system now. Okay. And so that is probably nationwide then? Yes, they're going to get a nationwide background check on you. And then going back to guardianship of the estate, when you're asking the court to give you permission to handle somebody's finances, you mentioned the bond. That's kind of like an insurance policy, right? That says if you happen to lose all of this person's money, or steal all of their assets, then the insurance company will make the proposed ward whole again. Correct. Yeah. And in order to for the insurance company to decide whether or not that's a good risk to give you that policy, they check your credit. Yes, they check your credit. They look at your debt-to-income ratio, and then they take into account what the ward's assets are and what is needed to protect them. Mm -hmm. And the court will set the bond amount. So if you don't qualify for a higher bond amount, there's, there's a few tricks and trades that we have within the probate system to get that amount lowered. But if you are going to need continual access to these funds to take care of the ward, then it may, you may not be the best applicant for the situation. Right. So decide whether or not you have decent credit. And uh, that might be one of the the grounds to contest if uh, somebody's trying to become guardian of your loved one and you think that's a bad idea because it's a bad person or they don't have the education or experience to manage funds or to um, manage the medical. The other thing that I would want to say is Acting as the guardian of somebody is a full-time job on itself. So if you already have a full plate and you're already struggling to help this person without a guardianship in place, it may not be the best fit for you. And there are certified guardians in our city that do an amazing job that can step in and do this for the ward and Mm -hmm. for you as their family member so that you can still have that parent-child relationship with them but not have the stress of the day-to-day taking care of somebody. Because it's like having a newborn infant. Right. You're making all the, their decisions and paying all their bills and scheduling all of their appointments. Mm-hmm. Talking to the doctors on their behalf, you know, picking up the medication for them, spending Christmas Eve in the emergency room with them. You're on call 24-7, 365. Yeah, good point to make. So after the lawsuit's filed and the applicant is getting their fingerprints done and uh, checking to make sure they have uh, decent credit so they can qualify for the bond, and then there's going to be a, some, some other investigators involved. Yes. One, another attorney that's mm-hmm. appointed to represent the proposed ward to protect that person's civil rights and an investigator by the court in in the big counties anyway. I don't know what the smaller counties do. Yep. So the court, once they get the application, gives it to the court investigator who starts um, trying to meet with the ward and with the applicant. As part of the application, we have to list any um, Tier 1 family members. So if it's a minor, we have to list the parents and any siblings that they may have. Mm-hmm. If it's of an adult, if their parents are still alive, we have to notify them, plus all their siblings. If they have children, we have to notify their children. And everybody has um, a posting period where they have the ability to make a contest or a showing in the proceedings Mm -hmm. to say, yes, we agree with it, or no, we don't. Yeah, and the proposed ward has to be invited also. (laughs) Yes, they have the right to be there. Right, they have to be 
given a copy of the lawsuit delivered to them in person. Yes, and once they're appointed to, there's um, the Bill of Rights that they have to be presented on an annual basis. Um, when they go to the um, primary care physician to do the certified medical exam, they have to be Mirandized to know that they have the right to say yes or no that they don't want to do this. Yeah, that's a good point. You could have a very stubborn ward <laughs> to d- deny uh, I don't want to answer any questions about my health. Yep. <laughs> the um, the Bill of Rights that you mentioned is is specially adapted to this guardianship process. It's, it's a, a list of rights that the the ward has to the, make as many decisions as they can and have as much information as they can understand. It's not the first ten amendments to the Constitution. It's a different Bill of Rights. It is. It's um, a little more individual focused than um, the population as a whole. Yeah. But it's important that we understand that even though a judge has decided that they're incapacitated, that they still have rights. They do. They do. Um, You know, you can't just lock them away in a facility Mm -hmm. and forget about them. If you're the guardian of the estate, you have to file an annual account. You have to take very good records of how you're, what money you're getting on behalf of the ward and how you're spending it, not just to the court, but also Social Security, the VA, and all the other institutes that they may be. um, Right. Yeah, the Social Security and the VA, they have their own accounting forms and process. They do, and if um, they're receiving benefits from the VA, we have to let the court know that and put it on the pleading so that the court knows that it's a re- another reporting institution. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the attorney ad litem, that ad litem is just Latin for, uh, I've always remembered it's just for this case. Uh, I don't know how it translates exactly, but that's what it means, that the attorney just represents the proposed ward to make sure that all the steps are followed. And if the proposed ward says, no, I don't want this, uh, I want you to squash this application for guardianship, then the attorney ad litem has to make a a good effort to... um, force everybody to prove their case or to get the case dismissed. Yes, and even beyond that, if there if it's a contested matter and the applicant wants the guardianship and the ward doesn't, but there's still ongoing acts against the ward's best interest, mm-hmm. then a guardian of the item can be appointed and take control for a temporary amount of time. That's right. There's another position, another attorney that could get involved called the guardian ad litem who's just temporary Um, that's a lot of detail we'll have to get into (laughs) another time Um, but we're going to take another break when we come back we'll try and wrap this up for you so stay tuned Attention, business owners and entrepreneurs. Join attorney Todd Marquardt for an eye-opening and informational seminar that could change the way you protect your business and assets. Discover what risks we often unknowingly face. Thursday, September 21st, 8 a.m. at the Dominion Country Club. RSVP at 210-530-4278 to secure your spot. Learn how to protect your business and assets from unforeseen challenges. RSVP now, 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer. Podcasts everywhere, talklawradio.com, YouTube, and Facebook Live. So we've been talking about Texas guardianships and why they're so difficult. Uh, I do want to mention uh, Joseph Warren at Financial Planning HQ again. Uh, He's uh, one of our sponsors And I just want you to call him if you want to avoid overly complicated financial products 
because Financial Planning HQ focuses on creating comprehensive strategies that give you and your family the highest probability of achieving your goals. For a complimentary consultation with Joseph Warren at Financial Planning HQ, call 210-748-6699. That's 210-748-6699. Back to guardianship with Cheryl Mays. Tell us after the attorney ad litem and the court investigator give the report, what's the next step? The next step is to have the hearing to see if the guardianship is going to be ordered and approved. And, you know, pre-COVID, it was in person. You had to Mm -hmm. go down to the courthouse. Um, Now we have a little more leeway with the Zoom hearings, which is a little more convenient for us. But that is when everybody pleads their case in front of the court. Um, We have to prove up the application for the applicant and prove that they're the best candidate for the situation. And the attorney ad litem comes in and um, pleads for the uh, ward's best interest. And if we're on agreement, then easy. But then there's the contested situations. And those have to be in person um, because they typically have to be on the record. Right. And then the judge has to decide at that point what is the best interest for the ward. The ward is allowed to attend if if uh, it's not going to be a disturbance. Absolutely. So one of the very specific questions on the certificate of medical examination that we have to get is we have to have the physician say whether they, even if they lack capacity, do they still have enough capacity to attend the hearing? Mm-hmm. And if they say yes, then we have to have the ward, the proposed ward there at hearing, and they have the ability to testify on their own behalf. Right. And if anybody thinks it's a bad idea for the proposed ward to be there, the you have to tell the judge and and ask for the judge to excuse the ward. Yes. Um, But like we were saying, everybody has to be invited, and the proposed ward has their attorney, the applicant has an attorney, and then if there's a contest by anybody else, they would also have their own attorneys. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated process. Uh, Everybody has to be represented and then the judge will decide. Yeah, and if it's contested to the point, um, we'll bring in experts and have them testify to the medical history of the individual. Um, If there's bad spending habits, we can have a banker come in and uh, speak to their bank records. There's a a lot of experts out there that have a lot of knowledge. on Right, or accountants to Mm -hmm. try and figure out where the money went. Right, right. And if, I mean, in worst case scenario, if APS is involved, they will have to make a pleading or a report into the situation right. as Adult well. Adult Protective Services, I've, I've seen them come into the courtroom before also. Uh, because there might be other uh, questions that need to be answered by the court or orders to be made if, uh, if there was a stealing of a incapacitated person's assets. Yes. Try and get that back uh, by proving who did it and um, when it happened and how much money was there. Um, Every now and again, I hear about uh, a disgruntled family member that says, uh, where's the rest? Mm-hmm. of the money. We we see that a lot, especially um, in the abuse of power of attorneys. Once um, somebody gets that authority, unfortunately, they decide, well, I have free reign of mom's checking account mm-hmm. and start signing checks on her behalf. That's a good point. If you can ask for a guardianship, if you need to have the power of attorney uh, suspended, because uh, of a bad power of attorney. Right. And the, and the court's going to ask that first. Do you have a power of attorney? Mm-hmm. And has anybody denied you authority to act on the person's behalf using the power of attorney? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, the court does not want to be involved. They have too many cases to handle right now. Yeah. Or if there's uh, 
two people that each have a power of attorney. Yeah, and they'll look at when that power of attorney actually went into effect. Was it immediate upon signing, or was it upon the declaration of incapacity mm-hmm. by a physician? And was the second one signed with sufficient capacity? Right, right. We've had a situation where um, a power of attorney was assigned to a second wife on the same day as a power of attorney was assigned to a son. One went into effect immediately. One went into effect upon the incapacity of the person. Mm -hmm. So at that point, at what time does the surviving or the spouse have to report incapacity of the ward or do they just write out their power of attorney as long as they've got the authority yeah it can get murky it does okay so let's imagine that a guardianship is granted and the guardian takes control of assets and of scheduling medical appointments Uh, what are some of the ongoing responsibilities that the guardian needs to be aware of? So on the personal side, they need to make sure that the person is taken care of, that they have shelter, food, water, the medical necessities that they need, that they're getting their, going to their physicians, that they have ample caregivers, um, that their medication is regulated, and just an overall wellness But on the financial side, it's a little more complicated because then you have to go in and present your letters of guardianship. Once you're appointed, the court issues letters of guardianship. That is your golden ticket Mm -hmm. to the bank accounts. And so you have to write letters, go to the institutions, and it can be a battle for six to nine months trying to get a bank to recognize the guardianship and no two financial institutions' um, procedures are the same. Right. So what works for one may not work for the other. And um, that's why it's good to have a good attorney that is experienced in guardianship and probate to represent you, um, to help you with this, because it can be a challenge. A court order and the golden ticket letters of guardianship <laughs> isn't always enough. Sometimes you need a little bit of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um and and maybe just being on the phone for a long time, getting to talk to the right person in the right department and get those uh, requests to the right person. Uh, you do that a lot. I do that a lot. Um, just this last week, I was on the phone with IRS for an hour and a half just trying to get a tax ID for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is time consuming. And as guardian of the estate, it is your responsibility to marshal all of those assets into one place if possible right? Um, and manage it. You have to report to the court on an annual basis what you spent on the person's behalf and what you received on their behalf. And if the court doesn't like how you've done it, they're going to challenge your guardianship and they're going to give you new rules mm-hmm. on how you're supposed to act on this person's Or behalf. they could be removed and replaced. Yeah, and anybody, um, the annual account is a public record. Mm-hmm. So anybody that has interest into the guardianship can go and get a copy of that and request it and pick it apart. Yeah, if you don't want your finances to be part of the public record, you should do power of attorney and uh, take other measures to make sure that your affairs can be handled outside of the court, like uh, power of attorney or living trust or other kinds of trusts as well. Uh, All of those things are more private than going through the court process. Um, If somebody has a lot of money, then the guardian would also have a duty to have an investment plan. Absolutely. Not risk at all. No, as a fiduciary on somebody's behalf, it is your responsibility not to only protect it, but to use it in its best capacity. Mm -hmm. And so if the best situation is to put it in an investment account, you know, at a higher risk, especially for a younger individual, um, then that is your responsibility. And the attorneys have great great um, peers that they work with and can Mm -hmm. recommend. Yeah, advisors. 
um, but you wouldn't want to leave it all in a, a no-interest checking account either because there are safe ways to get some interest. There are safe ways, um, and typically, I mean, the average guardianship has a checking account and a savings account, mm-hmm. um, but then there are the higher ones that probably should have gotten the living trust before right. this and had an investor already on board. And in those situations where it is a higher wealth award that we're working with, we look at the financial advisors that they've been working with, the CPAs, um, and we work directly with them to mm-hmm. keep that individual's plan in place. Yeah, or maybe just modify it as they get older or as their medical situation changes. Maybe their investment plan has to change as well. Yeah, I mean, if they have IRAs and stuff, you still have to do the required minimum distributions Mm -hmm. for them. You have to file their taxes on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to work with the IRS to have proper representation with the IRS. Yeah. Okay, so you can see how difficult and complicated Texas guardianship law is. Uh, It's not required. You can do some planning in advance to help make sure this doesn't happen. Of course, there's no guarantee in life, uh, but there is planning that can greatly improve the chances that you don't have to have this done. Absolutely. We encourage anybody that's um, 18 or older to at least have a medical and statutory durable power of attorney. So the event that, you know, a catastrophic event happens, somebody's there to take care of you. Somebody that you want to take care of you is there. That's right. That's how you get your wants and needs to be legally enforceable. And even if you're healthy, um, accidents happen. If you drive on 35, I-10, 1604, or 410, you have to have those uh, power of attorney documents. Absolutely. Protect yourself. Yeah, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You heard it here on Talk Law Radio about Texas guardianship. You can always find out more information by uh, calling Marquardt Law Firm or going to marquardtlawfirm.com. If you want to suggest other topics about areas of law where you think there are hidden legal issues, email me at host at talklawradio.com. I'll talk to you later. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.